0: Let's bow our heads once again and talk to the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our nation's birthday, for the wonderful words and music by which we celebrate it. The whole idea of a festival celebration... commemorating that Declaration of Independence and that first step in becoming the United States of America. Thank you for all that you have done in our nation over the centuries. Thank you for what you are doing amongst us this very day, in this very place. Walk amongst us, Lord Jesus, and encourage us in our own faith in you, that one by one we might take the initiative to serve you faithfully in our day and our time. Toward that end, Lord, please take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your namesake. Amen. Well, I remember the day uh, I sailed into New York Harbor to come to America to work here with an organization called Scripture Union. I actually sailed on the old Queen Mary, which today is uh, at Long Beach, California, as a hotel. I've actually taken my wife and my children around that ship as a hotel. I can't remember where on earth I was uh, in which cabin, but it was fun to walk through it all. I do remember on the journey over... I asked permission to go down into the engine room and see how it all ran. And I was granted that. And somebody walked me through and I saw the the big powerful engines that drove the ship. But the real memory was as we steamed into New York Harbor. It was early in the morning. The traffic was streaming along the Connecticut coast into uh, New York, all the people going there to work. And as I uh, stood on the deck, I had the feeling I was coming home. Having left Great Britain with my motorcycle, my guitar, my box of books, and my few clothes, They were all down in the hold of the ship, standing there just by myself, no one with me. But the Lord was there. And I had the sense of coming home for Him, for this country, for Him to use me here. I am so grateful for that moment and that memory. And for a nation that welcomed me. I was single and uh, hopeful. And I did end up marrying an American girl and raising four American daughters alongside my wife. But one moment leads to another. Have you ever had any such moment in your life? As you look back over your life, can you recollect a single significant moment that redirected the course of your personal history and then the rippling effects of that decision, that moment? throughout the rest of your life i trust that even this service and these moments together will be such a time for you that you will have a moment with god and feel that your life in some sense is inspired redirected by him to whatever the future holds for you. We're going to be considering together Father Abraham. Could you guess how old he was when he had that single significant moment that changed the course of world history Because some of you have already said, well, I'm too old for this kind of stuff. If I were a younger man, I'd have that kind of moment. But I'm not looking for those moments right now. Well, let me tell you, Abraham was 75 years of age. No matter what your age, God has a plan for your life and a future for you. And it doesn't have to be measured in years, but in significant moments that change the course of your life, your family, the history of the souls of people that you touch. Take a look, will you please, at the narrative concerning God's visit with Abraham It's in your service sheet on page 6, or if you have your Bible with you or want to look at it in the Bibles in the pews, then you need to turn to Genesis chapter 12. The first verse says this, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He doesn't tell him where that land is. Obviously, he doesn't have GPS, doesn't have any drawn map, is not aware of where all the territory is and other nations worshipped or lived or what they did. Where he was in Haran, was as a nomad caring for his cattle and his sheep and the entourage of people that made up his larger clan and family. But without knowing where he was to go, he was to to be obedient to God and gather up all his belongings and his people and head on out to a land, as you look at that first verse, that says, I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, not knowing that that's where they were going, and they arrived there. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now I'm going to take you on to chapter 15, just a few chapters later, where now Abram is experiencing another vision from the Lord. The concern that Abraham has is this, he is childless. So how can all this come to be? How, how can it come to pass? So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So will your offspring be. Verse 6 Abram believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Four things promised Abraham in those verses we have read. One, a chosen people, a great nation. Two, a promised land. Three, of his offspring, a blessing to the nations of the world. Inherent in that, the promise of the Messiah, Jesus. And fourthly, that last great statement. Because of his faith, God accounted to Abraham righteousness through faith. And that last point, that last clarification became the single theme of the Apostle Paul's writing most of the New Testament. Because he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, part of the offspring of Abraham, physically, and a Pharisee to boot, very serious religious Jew, And he thought keeping all the righteous rules and regulations of his faith might get him to heaven. And he discovered in reading concerning Abraham that through faith we are justified, that is made just as if we'd never sinned. Not through any accomplishment of our own. Righteous acts and deeds, noble adventures, commitments, sacrifices, none of that. Simply by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made a new person, made a child of God, made an heir of salvation, with heaven as our home. Righteousness that comes to us through faith. And the scripture that's quoted so often in the New Testament is this very scripture as God is promising to Abraham the land and the people, the heritage, the Messiah, and that it was counted to him, Abraham, his faith, As righteousness. Do you realize how monumental all that is? It's absolutely monolithic. A promised land, Israel, a chosen people, the Jewish people, out of whom came the Messiah our Savior and Lord, and the amazing truth that through faith in that Lord Jesus and all that he has accomplished for us as our Messiah, Savior and Lord credits to us a righteousness that comes through faith, a gift from God. Not earned, not accomplished, not developed, a straight-out, paid-for gift through faith in Jesus Christ. All this because of one man's faithfulness. In the epistle to the Hebrews, and I want to take you there and read the passage in chapter 11, it says this. This is Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father Because he considered him, the Lord, considered him faithful who had made the promise. So verse 12, listen carefully each one. So from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And one might add, the Messiah and Savior of the world. Through one man's faithfulness, we could call this look at Abraham, the power of one a promised land, a chosen people, a Messiah to bless the world and the amazing gift of a brand new life through faith in Jesus Christ. And that one moment in history when God called Abram to to go out and follow wherever God led him was the moment that all began. One man. He is good as dead. And what God did through that one man and his faithfulness. Now what we are paralleling with Father Abraham and the birth of God's people, as a people, as a nation, with those promises, is the United States of America becoming a nation... And as those men put their signature, their John Hancock, the last signature on the list, on the Declaration of Independence, each one with his own name, his own identity, his own commitment, his own honor, his own wealth, his own life, his own family at stake, each one signing it for himself, gave birth to a nation, our nation. And God has blessed our nation. But prior to the signing of that declaration, we did have the colonies that were getting organized as states, sort of the precursor to their becoming the states, those first 13 colonies. What is not known or spoken of is that the intention in the starting of those colonies with the original immigrants coming over to this country and establishing a variety of states, colonies at that point as they set about writing the charter for those states claimed that they did so and committed those potential states to the gospel of jesus christ you see history in our day is being rewritten And there is a denial, flat-out denial, by many people in the academic scene and world, by the popular media and by people in government, denying that we have a Christian heritage and this country founded to be a Christian country. At the beginning of the service, we had on the screen various comments by our founding fathers I want to set before you some of the content from a number of these states. The Charter of Virginia instructs the colonists to help in, to quote, propagating the Christian religion to such people as they live in ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. That was in the Charter for Virginia as a colony. The Plymouth Charter specifies that the colony was established, to quote, to advance the enlargement of the Christian faith to the glory of God Almighty. Thirdly, the Delaware Charter defines one purpose of that settlement as, to quote, the further propagation of the Holy Gospel. Fourth, the Maryland Charter explains that its first settlers were moved by, to quote, pious zeal for extending the Christian religion. Number five, the Massachusetts Bay Charter emphasizes that Boston was founded by men who wanted to bring to the new world, in quotes, the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind. The early settlers of Pennsylvania, this is number six, came to America according to their own declaration for the spread of, to quote, the Christian religion. Seven, the Rhode Island Charter, in quotes, commits its people to the true Christian faith and worship of God. Number eight, the Connecticut Constitution told its settlers to help preserve the liberty and purity, to quote, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number nine, the New Hampshire Charter begins, We in the name of Christ, and in the sight of God. And, number 10, the closing declaration of, the closing of the Declaration of Independence confesses that we are under the protection of the divine providence. The birth of our nation in the settlement of North America by these various groups coming over from Europe, leaving behind a persecuted Christian witness coming to the United States of America to begin again in a new country, came as followers of Jesus Christ to establish, by covenant, by charter, an organized political life ...that had, as it had at its core the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All this preceding the declaration of independence. You and I are privileged to worship freely in this country... ...because of those early roots of history and by way of it being organized politically and the constitution that we have by which there will be no abridgment of our rights to express our faith Christianly. We have a heritage that has made America great. America is not great because of its wealth, Its education, or any other other of the assets that we bring, other than God has blessed America. I have quoted before from this pulpit to Tocqueville, who back in the 1800s, as a French sociologist, came to the USA to find out what made it so great. And he said I looked in her deep harbors, the wealth of her natural resources, her education incomparable, her political system with its constitution. He said none of these, in none of these did I find the answer. But when I went into her churches and saw her pulpits ablaze with the gospel of Christ. I knew what America was. America was great because America was good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. It's one of the nicest things the French has ever said about us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power to change your heart change a life as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you one by one by one to make your commitment to be bold for Christ, to be engaged in the popular debate and current discussions, not to hide your lamp under a bushel, to let it be known that you follow Jesus and from whatever you've picked up from this sermon or other sources which you need to go look at and reflect upon, affirm that America is great because America is good and America is good because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we lose that gospel or we Fear to proclaim that gospel. If we fear to engage the culture. If we say politics is just too sordid to get involved. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of you haven't voted for any number of years. My encouragement for you and to you is to get registered and to vote. So strongly do we feel about that, some of us in leadership here, that we have set up the opportunity for you to register here after this service out in the Commons. Find the place. If you haven't registered, get registered. Outside of registering, you can't vote. Outside of voting, you have absolutely no influence. Let me quote to you. This was actually printed and distributed by the Allegheny County Board of Elections. One vote can make a difference. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. In 1776, one vote gave the United States the English language instead of the German. In 1845, one vote brought the state of Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford Hayes the presidency of the United States. Similarly, in that year, one vote also changed France from a monarchy to a republic. In 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. In 1960, if Richard Nixon would have had one more vote in each polling place, he would have beaten President Kennedy. One person, one vote... One decision has ramifications that are hard to measure. Could to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, thank you that through this line of history that we have considered together. You have been active in the lives of one person here, one person there. And as we bow our heads in your presence now, dear Lord Jesus Christ, please in your mercy and goodness, so fill us with yourself. Fill us with the truth of your word. Bring us to a surrender of our lives to you, yourself. That we will, with boldness and courage, stand tall for you in our day. And we pray this to the honor and glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.